So to me, people having a voice is really an extension of their stories that they have to tell. Um, and I think interestingly, we all view the world through our own quite unique internal lens, which you know everybody knows that's made up of the values we've created or been taught um, and beliefs that we've built up. So the stories we've told ourselves but that can often lead to really solid inbuilt values and beliefs, but also unconscious biases and blind spots. Um, and our internal lens determines what we see. In other words, our own unique version of reality, which, which we all live and breathe. So for me, hearing another voice is me hearing another opinion. Mm. It's hearing another view that I often can't currently see. Hi, this is Julie Hyde. Thanks for joining me on Making It Count, a podcast dedicated to inspiring leaders and business owners to be even better leaders, to create a great culture, empower their people and be more productive. So let's get into it. Catherine Duncan is my guest on the podcast today. With more than 25 years of experience in management roles, Catherine's collaborative approach and her wide-ranging experience across industries, nationalities and networks means she's well-equipped to create an environment of support, learning and growth for both her people and her clients. As Director and GM at Matthew Steer Accountants and Advisors, she believes that leaders today need to be proactively relevant, reflective and resilient to be able to flex to the future demands of both our people and our clients. This podcast is full of leadership wisdom shared by a true and authentic leader. Catherine is really passionate about people and is curious to get to know them and how they tick, which is key to her success. We chat about the power of giving others a voice, leading a multi-generational workforce, the shift of power in business that leaders need to embrace, and why leaders must have critical conversations early. Now, you'll pick up very quickly that Catherine is Scottish, which makes this podcast even more interesting with her gorgeous accent. You will get a lot of value from this podcast, and I know that you'll enjoy it. Catherine Duncan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Julie. It's fantastic to be here. Yes, you have made me wait for quite a while. You've been very hard to get. (laughs) Not true. (laughs) So I'm very grateful to have you on the Making It Count podcast and really keen to jump into it and try and get through everything that we'd like to. So Mm. shall we just get started? Let's jump in. All right. So I'm sure people may have picked up slightly that you have a Scottish accent. Just a tad. Just a tad. So how did a Scottish girl from Glasgow end up in sunny Melbourne? Mm, Well, that's quite a long story. So I'll try and give you the shorter version, but I have to go back to Scotland first and give you a bit of an introduction as to how I ended up in Australia. So I, I guess fundamentally my background in Scotland is that I'm from a strong working class background in Glasgow, brought up by a very hard-working single mum who basically worked seven days a week and three nights a week looking after three children. So definitely a strong work ethic and a strong female role model for me. So that was my sort of background and who I came to be uh, moving through. So when I finished my business studies, I moved to the Highlands uh, in Scotland and my introduction to working life was as a contractor. So I was working on multiple contracts over about seven years in the oil and gas industry. So that meant that I was working for some of the major American oil companies in the day. 
uh, who were building the oil rigs. So it was under a joint UK and American management structure on the yards that we worked on. So contracting was great for me. It meant that you could be on a one-year contract to a three-year contract and everything in between. And you had those really high peaks of work seven days a week and whatever it took to finish a contract. But I had some really great experiences and lessons during that time. And the first one for me, uh, which is still relevant, is that you can speak the same language. But in reality, UK and America have really different cultures. Mm. So and interesting differences in leadership and values as well. So each contract that I was on was a new owner with different systems and new business rules. So I was constantly developing my brand and my reputation and my ability to sell myself when I moved from each contract. So I had to apply that every time I went for a new contract. But in reflection, I realised early on the value in building you know, your brand and your reputation. I didn't realise I was doing that, but that's really what I was doing. And I was quite chuffed when I got a phone call from a London recruitment agent ahead of a new contract saying that they, they had been requested for me to join a new team that they were forming. Um, and I was really excited about that, but I realised that that was based on a relationship I'd built with that uh, recruitment agent as well. Something that comes to mind and that one of my biggest learnings is quite a funny story. So can I just quickly share <laughs> a funny story that was quite impactful for me? So if you picture it, it's in the 80s, the oil and gas industry happened to be full of naked women on the walls. <laughs> Pictures of naked women, that is, on Gosh. the walls. And really many inappropriate behaviours and comments yeah. that, that would never be tolerated, thank goodness, today. So we had a new American project CEO that came over and he was quite religious and immediately wanted to change everything that was happening there. So he demanded that all the pictures be taken down by the Monday morning. So he came into work on the Monday morning to find in his office every space of wall or ceiling was covered with naked women, <laughs> photos of naked women all over the walls. And that really gave me great insight at a young age on how not to implement a culture change and not influence people. He just relied on his title and yeah. his authority. And in the end of the day, it had the total, total opposite effect on the team. So mm. uh, quite a good learning for me and a funny <laughs> learning. So yeah, I then moved from, from seven years there into to, across to Aberdeen and I had my full-time uh, job. That was an adjustment in itself, working on a job with no end date. But I worked for a small, really uh, interesting international boutique company with risk analysts. So totally different kettle of fish, different culture again, highly logical and high PhD type uh, analysts that were working there. And that was in my mid-twenties and I cut my teeth in management in that role and I started an MBA into that role as well to build and support my skills. But because they were a really successful company, they actually got bought over by an international company with about 6,000 employees worldwide. So moving from about 45 people to 6,000 was Jeez. quite a major shift. Mm. Um, and that gave me access to a whole new suite of great tools, processes, and my first real exposure to corporate leadership programs, which they were pretty big on. It was really fascinating to be part of the merging of two businesses and two cultures. And I was fortunate because they did a brilliant job in that space. They were really thorough in um, constant communication, sharing their vision um, for the future, involving the team in the process. And everybody was learning and it was good fun. So it was really a win-win for everybody. So mm. I was really fortunate in that. 
One of the people that I worked with in Aberdeen moved to our Sydney office and then they asked me to come and join them in Sydney and help manage their risk team there. There was a new team that they were building. So my thinking at that stage was, what have I got to lose? Uh, I sold my house, packed up my bags and headed off to Sydney and I thought, I'll give it two years and then I'll come back to Scotland. And that was 24 years ago. Wow. That job was another uh, interesting one for me. It was a baptism of fire. I... You know, if you imagine, I, I arrived, 24-hour flight, totally jet-lagged, got taken into the office at, like, 9 o'clock in the morning, straight from the airport, so a bit bedraggled, and was introduced to the team, and I got a whole corner office overlooking Sydney Harbour, oh. and all I did was absolutely gulp in horror and fear and think, oh, my God, what must they be expecting of me? So I was quite terrified. And, again, that was another experience of a new country, um, same language but totally different culture mm. um, again in running the two major teams between Sydney and Perth uh, at a senior level um, really did give me some big lessons about myself, I had to really dig deep and build resilience that was my number one lesson and there was really a lot of tears and many mistakes along the way mm. but I, I think the big thing for me was I really realised what a massive handicap it is when you have to operate at a senior level and you don't understand basic everyday Australian life, which I really didn't. Um, the humour, the words they use, the sayings, the politics, um, the, the sports, the absolute blood life of Australia. Um, and I had lots of, lots of situations where I'd been in a meeting and somebody would say something like, bloody oath. And I'd think, I don't even know if they're agreeing with me or disagreeing. I had no... Or everybody would say they lived in Whoop Whoop, and I was busy looking at the map in Sydney trying to figure out where Whoop Whoop was. So I caused a lot of laughs and had a few challenges in that. And let's not get into the challenges of the Australians trying to understand me uh, and my accent and the words that I use and something I know you still struggle with today, Julie. <laughs> So I was truly a foreigner in a new country where nothing was familiar to me and, and, uh, and that, was, that was fun and challenging. But I, I think the un unfortunate part for me in all of that is in those four years in that role, I realised that I really began to lose who I was. Mm. I didn't know that was happening. It kind of crept up on me, but I was becoming the environment that I had been working in. And that was really a big boys club, egos, aggressive, and it wasn't an inclusive culture at all. So... It really was everything against who I was fundamentally, and I had began to morph into that environment. So fortunately, I was able to accept redundancy four years later, so that was great. And I then set up a joint consultancy business with a dear friend of mine whom I'd worked in the UK and Australia with. And we had a lot of fun doing project management, team building, audits, setting up um, systems and processes for a lot of government bodies across Australia and we did large projects with BHP and the old ANSET as well. We did a lot of work with ANSET. So great job and learnt a lot in that as well. But we got to pick and choose contracts, which was fun. And we learnt early on that uh, projects don't work if you don't get buy-in at the top. If you don't have somebody sitting at the top that's buying in what they're trying to change, there's no point in paying us to come in and we'd gladly refuse some of those contracts. So... So how did I come to Melbourne? Well, during that consultancy, I had a major contract with the government that meant in two years I spent a week in Sydney and a week in Melbourne travelling back and forward. Mm. So I, I got to stay in the same hotel and get to know people in that hotel and the staff. And, of course, I met an incredible 
incredible man here in Melbourne whom I fell in love with. Um, so I ended up marrying Leno and I got the trifecta of my two beautiful stepsons, Jack and Thomas. So that's why I moved to Melbourne in 2003. Yeah. And I joined Matthew Steer um, in 2007 where I'm currently the director and GM and that's a job I absolutely love. I mm. love every day here. I work with a, an amazing team and uh, great clients. So that's what I'm currently doing in sunny Melbourne. In sunny Melbourne. Mm. And the sun is out today. Yes. So that's a, an incredible story. And it's really interesting the language that you're using mm. there around like the same language, different cultures. Yes. Because that can often not necessarily just only be between countries, but between businesses. Yeah, absolutely. In the and same yeah. um, state even. So true, mm. actually, yeah. So um, I think we underestimate how important that is. And, yeah. and it's you, you just live with it and you don't realise sometimes that there are some quite big differences in that yes. space. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Now, you have a real passion for empowering people to have a voice, mm. which is mm. something that I know you work really tirelessly yeah. on. So I'd love you to tell us um, a little bit about that. Mm. And yeah, maybe where, where did that come from? Mm. Well, I guess, I guess some insights to me in that space is <laughs> from a young age, my uncle used to say that my mouth opened before my eyes did in the morning, <laughs> um, which is true. And my husband told my mum that when he went out on a date with me, he felt like he went out with a crowd. So I clearly like to talk rude. <laughs> so the, the other thing is from a young age, I've always been incredibly curious about people and their lives and their journeys and what makes them tick. So the other thing as a child is I always loved to read. So I naturally love stories and people's stories um, are the same thing for me because they take me into another world. They take me into their world. So to me, people having a voice is really an extension of their stories that they have to tell. Um, and I think, interestingly, we all view the world through our own quite unique internal lens, which, you know, everybody knows that's made up of the values we've created or been taught um, and beliefs that we've built up, so the stories we've told ourselves. But that can often lead to really solid inbuilt values and beliefs, but also unconscious biases and blind spots mm. um, and our internal lens determines what we see in other words our own unique version of reality which which we all live and breathe so for me hearing another voice is me hearing another opinion mm. it's hearing another view that I often can't currently see so it's really important that that we hear those other voices and when we get curious and open enough rather than defending our status quo um, that can really change our lens and help help us see things from a whole new, interesting perspective. So everybody, to me, has a story and something valuable to share within those stories. I, I, I strongly feel that it's our duty to have a voice. Mm. It really is our duty to enrich the lives of each other and people that we come into contact with, not just for the sake of talking, not by telling others how it needs to be done, but by teaching each of us how to open up and have another perspective and become more curious and less judgmental, um, open to options and possibilities in that space. We can't have that richness by just living inside our own head. Mm. So I think when we do that, we're just defending our own thinking. Yeah. 
So the more voices and stories we hear, the wider and richer our lens of the world becomes, I believe. And how magical is that for everybody? Um, I guess the flip side of that is I can get quite frustrated when people consistently play the role of sitting back mm. and just observing and never contributing. Mm. Uh, you know, and it can feel a bit like others are there to entertain them and enrich their world, and that can become quite one-sided. And I find that frustrating. Um, it, it, it is a little bit like it can feel like they're just sucking the oxygen from the room and, yeah. and they're really not giving anything back. And I, I think if people are sitting there thinking your vo- their voice doesn't matter, it really does. Mm. And it really does need to be heard. Mm. And if you've got trouble finding that voice, um, and many people do for a multitude of reasons, uh, find somebody that can help you. Mm. Find somebody that can support you in that space and help you have a voice because we all need to hear it. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Um, fabulous perspective. And so it's not only about empowering to have a voice, but it's that contribution mm. that you really value as well. Yeah, I do, mm. because uh, it's really boring if you just mm. live inside your own head and yeah. just justify your own thinking and your beliefs. And, and the, the more open you get to hearing that, the better I think your life becomes. Yeah, for mm. sure. Mm. So within your role here at Matthew Steer, you are leading a large multi-generational workforce mm. and culturally as well. Yeah. It's quite diverse. Yeah. So what do you see the main challenges for leaders to bring a diverse team together and what's mm. the secret to your success? Mm. Not sure about the success. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that depends on what day you ask me, but it, mm. it's a really topical uh, subject and it's a never changing landscape and it certainly is a topic that I could discuss for hours. I guess in our industry, like many others, there is still a genuine war for talent. Um, but I think within that, the balance of power has definitely shifted to include much more of what the people want and not just what the business wants. Mm. And that just really has to be a good thing because ultimately people make and shape your business Mm. Um, and they need to be front and centre of your plans and your visions. So, you know, I've always believed that your people truly are your power Mm. more than anything else in your business. And in our business, we really are a, a people business and a relationship business. The rapid pace of technology that everybody talks about is the norm and it's really just business as usual. But I think the gap there is in the human skills and that's where we need the constant focus. I mean, IQ is still important, but as leaders, our EQ has become much more critical in that space. But I'm fascinated by the rising importance for leaders in our MQ, which is our moral quotient, and our BQ, which is our body quotient. And as leaders, we need to be aware of our feelings be somebody who can be trusted and somebody who takes good care of our own health and well-being. Because the next generation are looking at us and assessing us and all of that. Mm. So gone are the days, I think, in people, our leaders, shouting and blaming others when things go wrong, saying one thing and doing another and being very difficult to trust or looking like you've just dragged yourself out of bed with no energy or vitality. Our teams just won't tolerate that kind of leader anymore. So here at Matthew Steer, I guess our range, our team range from early 20s to mid-60s with an average age of about 35. Mm. And that's a gap of about 40 years in those generations. But that's fairly typical of a lot of businesses today. And that will be getting bigger as more people will work longer. And that's hopefully because they want to and because they're fit 
and they still have that passion to do mm. so. But we've got a diverse range of nationalities and cultures here as well. We have about 14 staff who speak a second language in our team, which is just fantastic. So we focus on all levels of diversity, including gender diversity, but that's a whole topic in itself, and I could spend all day on that. Um, so I, I guess with that range of generations comes a broad range of skills, talents and capabilities, but it also comes with a broad range of different perspectives, different needs and different attitudes. And I think the only way to harness that power is the wonderful diversity of your people and get to know your people. I know it, it sounds really cliché, but I think it's critical for leaders to really get to know who they're supposed to be leading. Yeah. And one of the, the things we do in that space is we're, we're very focused on one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions with every member of our team. So everybody has a one-on-one -on -one coaching session where their team leader will get to know them completely, the whole person. And we do that over either breakfast or lunch. So that it's out of the office. It's in a much more relaxed space. You're talking about much more than just work. You're talking about the person, you know, what's going on in their life, and you're getting to know what's making them tick. Mm. But we monitor and access and assess, sorry, the mixture of diversity across the different areas of the business as well. So that can be at exec level, at manager level, within the teams, across the business. But our aim is to harness that diversity in a day-to-day so we have to do it across all those different areas of the business. And it has to be just part of working with each other that we're working with different generations within our day-to-day -day business. Mm. And obviously that can get out of balance quite quickly as people come and go. So we really need to monitor that regular and restructure that regularly as well. Mm. But in a business that's been successfully operating for over 30 years, you can grow and develop unconscious bias within that as well. And it's something we've had a bit of a radar on recently within the business. And biases build up for really good reasons. It can be that you've been really uh, burnt and something's gone terribly wrong or you've had massive successes and bias the other way. So being aware of our biases can be quite confronting. Um, and it really takes courage and grit to even lift up that rock, I think. So we try and tackle that by having a strong board with two fantastic external directors and they help us see those biases and challenges and that. But I think as leaders, we need to be mixing with external people that are going to help us understand and see those biases as well. So I think it's important to think about who you're getting that feedback from as mm. well. And I believe like our past experiences as leaders, good and bad, need to mean something better for the teams that, that we're leading today. But apart from all of that, in, in the, the, the diversity of the generations, um, I mean, we're fundamentally human beings. And I think at the end of the day, we want to be part of something. Yeah. We still want to belong and we want to be able to add value. So if you can harness 40 years of diversity in a business with the youthful energy and drive and the wisdom and passion of the older generations, you really can create quite unique magic. Mm. And at Matthew Steer, like our purpose is to empower our community to live their potential. And that's a big part of what we strive to do every day that's really linked to that whole diverse generations within our communities. Yeah, amazing. Mm. And I love the point you bring up about biases, um, mm. I suppose, two and for and against. Yes. Uh, it's a really good point because mm. businesses that have been around 
for a while and it can be as short as a couple of years mm. we do develop that bias yeah. don't we so yeah. yeah so like you say it's really harnessing mm. the strengths of um all generations yeah um and um bringing that together yeah because it's yeah. pretty magical when you can it you is. can see when that's working and yeah and the feeling of that is pretty yeah. sensational and getting that mutual respect humming, mm. which is awesome mm. Now, having critical conversations, which no doubt forms part of your role, mm-hmm. uh, is something that many business leaders um, do um, balk at and fear yeah. for many reasons. So now I know this is something that you do really well and um, you really value providing feedback as mm. an empowerment tool. Mm. So what do you think are the benefits of addressing issues early and just encouraging that conversation mm. sooner rather than later, yeah. rather than things building up and mm. becoming a fiasco yeah. that then has to be unraveled. Mm. Yeah, and that can happen really quickly, actually. Mm. I think that must be my Glasgow upbringing, Julie. Uh, <laughs> part of me living in my brave heart. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> Certainly a space... Uh, you know, this space is where we all have war stories, I think, and mm. it, it can really get our hearts racing just thinking about it. But the two big drivers for me in having critical conversations is, first and foremost, is life is really short. Mm. And I find at work or outside of work, so much time is wasted with assumptions that can really lead to incredibly strong emotions. Mm. You've made an assumption about something that's really made you hurt or yeah. angry or feel in pain. And, you know, most of us are aware, and astonishingly, 80 to 90% of what we worry about never happens. Mm. So we make a lot of assumptions and worry about things yeah. that's never going to happen. And, you know, the famous quote by Mark Twain, I've had a lot of worries in my life, most of which have never happened, are really true. So to me, fundamentally, getting rid of those worries and having the conversations uh, pretty critical. So I'm constantly asking myself when I'm making assumptions, is this true? Is it a fact? Or I just know that it's an assumption and I need to search for the truth. Yeah. And I've got to go to the source. I've got to go to the, pe- the person or the people involved to get yeah. that truth. But the second piece is around learning to give and to receive constructive feedback in that space. I mean, that's often critical uh, when you want to move the dial forward in business. And the more senior you become, the less honest feedback you're going to get. Yeah. And that's just a plain fact. People just won't tell you what you need to hear. Yeah. And it's when you need it the most. Mm. So that feedback is really important. So I guess in the space of critical conversations, it can feel like conflict mm. to a lot of people. Yes. And they, they'll avoid it because it brings... People get come out in a sweat thinking about conflict and they'll avoid it, hoping that it will just go away. Yeah. If I just ignore it, it will disappear. But they think it is going to be a confrontation. Yeah. It's in their head. It's, it's going to be a yeah. confrontation. Yeah. Yeah. And... and I, I think learnings for me personally and building up my courage to keep having that is if it's not done in anger, if I'm coming from a good, caring heart space mm. and I genuinely want a resolution yep. for both of the people involved, it's going to go well. Yeah. However, if I'm angry or I'm upset, I'm pro- probably going to go in there wanting to prove a point. <laughs> I'm going to make myself right and make mm. somebody else wrong. I'm going to get aggressive and defensive and it's going to end up an absolute disaster. Yeah. And the other thing for me is the simplicity of preparation. Yeah. Because that's pretty critical. My check-in is usually around asking myself, why am I angry or upset? Because there's usually a trigger in there that's linking back to my values or my beliefs. 
and it's usually hitting a spot for me. The other thing is why do I want to have the conversation? Is it really relevant or is it of value? And how is the other person going to feel? How can I make it palatable to them if it is potentially something that is, in my mind, a bit of a conflict? Mm. So ultimately, what is the positive outcome I'm trying to achieve for both of us? Yeah. And how? what could that look like? So if I think about that beforehand, I'm likely to go in um, a little bit more curious mm. and not proving a point. But the reality is, as a leader, if you're not having these critical conversations within your business... You're just quite simply not doing your job. Yeah. I mean, feedback is truly a gift. We know that. And as yeah. I mentioned, the higher up the career path, you're going to get less honest feedback. Mm. So you really need to actively seek that through these conversations and create the space to have that. So if you're struggling in this space, I really encourage you to get support on how to. There's many wonderful tools and processes in how to have that. SBI, Situation Behaviour Impact, is a great little tool that takes away the emotion of having the discussions. Yeah. But practice makes perfect in anything. And I think the more you do it, the easier it becomes. Yeah. But, you know, I think we know that when people work in flow together, and they typically can have these critical conversations just naturally, um, and they can feel safe to do so. And that's really where the magic happens so in any business this is the space where you're going to build high performing teams and resilient teams will welcome these types of conversations yes so it's critical if you want to build that type of business yeah that's a really good point yeah and I love what you mentioned around the intent for the conversation the preparation for the conversation Mm. and just removing that emotion which is really important to enable you to have it have it well I have great war stories where I've had emotion in there and it's gone horribly wrong yes I think we all have (laughs) now very quickly Mm. um I know you've got a very full-on role (laughs) (laughs) so around that busy space and you have featured in my book busy Mm. sharing your pearls of wisdom (laughs) how do you navigate it Mm. Well, I wouldn't dare use the word busy in front of you, Julie. Um, And anybody listening who's struggling with an alternative, please read Julie's book on busy. Uh, It's an amazing book and it really does um, force you to look at what you have to be doing in that space. Um, But I guess, you know, I I live a pretty full and amazing uh, life, in my opinion. It's pretty varied and I love... Uh, living life to the full so I I think that's true of everybody's life Mm -hmm. Um, you know and my husband's the same he works in entertainment um, and he works in hospitality so we we really take a lot of time to solidly plan each week how are we going to spend our week where are we getting our time together yeah where is our downtime where we shut out the world and we just do what's important for us Mm. as a couple because that's what gives me the foundation (laughs) to navigate those peaks and troughs that are going to happen anyway. Yeah. Um, the other thing, like, the, like I love looking at energy zones as well, and the top athletes of the world, they always look at performing at that high elite end of their game, but they balance that with a really solid time in their uh, recovery zone as well. And I, I believe in that fundamentally. It's, it's taking time out to eat well, to exercise, to sleep. You know, I journal, I meditate. I love being in nature and hiking, so mm. that's my happy space. 
Um, but, you know, I, I just I just believe that everybody's got their own way of doing that and I think you need to find the balance for you. Mm. Um, last year was a particularly emotional and stressful time for me at work. I had a lot of things to work through, but the biggest learning I had last year is taking the time to slow down and listen to my body because mm. it will inevitably tell me when I'm stressed, when I'm anxious and when I need to do something to rebalance that and recharge my energy. So mm. that's probably been a really big lesson for me in the past year. Yeah, mm. love it. Mm. Listen to your body. Mm. And all that, you know, obviously you and Lena work through your priorities mm. and then plan out from yeah. there, which is mm. fantastic. All right, so I'm going to change tack for just a little bit because mm. I love asking this question and I mm. want to hear your answer to this. What really annoys you? Oh, <laughs> Oh, no. Yeah. I have a long list. No, I don't, actually. <laughs> oh, you so do. Um, well, uh, I guess the thing that comes to mind most is people being a victim. Yeah. That, look, I know we yeah. all love being a two-year-old child and yes. throwing our tantrums, and I love to wallow in my two-year-old tantrum, but you need to surround yourself by good people that are going to say enough's enough. Mm. What are you doing about it? How are you moving it forward? Rather than just keep repeating that same old story of woe is me or I can't change this. There are always options and choices. Mm. And I think just opening up those choices. So get good people around you. I've got you, Julie, that helps me in that space. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think just being a victim and constantly walling in self-pity is probably yes. a big bugbear for me. That annoys me as well. <laughs> <laughs> now, we could keep on talking yes. forever, mm. <laughs> which we do, but we do um, need to wrap it up. Mm. So I'm really keen to know how do you feel that you're making a difference or making it count mm. in line with what the podcast <laughs> is called? <laughs> I've got no idea, really. <laughs> um, Look, I guess for me, uh, I, you know, in the past couple of years, as you know, I've lost some dear family and some friends. And, and I think just in honour of them, I, I have always been somebody that lives a full and varied life. And I really believe in sucking the marrow out of life, truly, um, and, and living a life that's true to you and that you're enjoying. And that's the good times and the bad times. Because the bad times help you appreciate the good times, mm. I fundamentally believe. So I guess I, I really try and do that. And I hope that in doing that, I'm inspiring others to do the same. Live a life that's true to them and really suck the marrow out of life. It is short. Enjoy it and, and do what's right for you. Um, I guess the other thing that, that resonates with me is the wonderful Brené Brown mm. in her recent book, Dare to Lead, talks about living with a wild heart yes. and that's a heart that's both fierce and kind and that, that really resonates with me, I love that and I guess that kind of resonates with my Scottish heritage it does. <laughs> and my DNA so yeah, just live life to the full and, and inspire others to do that, live mm. your life mm. Mm. I love it mm. thank you Catherine thank you Julie I'm really appreciative of your time and I can certainly say that you definitely inspire others you certainly inspire me and so many people admire you oh thank you I love how passionate you are about people and I would just love to be part of your team mm. and I think that fierce and passionate <laughs> wild heart wild heart is definitely um, you so thank you so much for being part of my kick thank you Julie thank you so much Thanks for listening. 
And I hope that you have gained some great ideas and feel inspired to get out there and make what you do count for your leadership, your business, and your life. Please do leave a review for this podcast and please share it with your network. Send any feedback or suggestions for future guests by emailing me, julie at juliehide.com.au. For now, let's get out there and make it count.